For those of you who are unaware, Katie and Austin, they met, they met each other. The way they started going out was Katie was invited next door to their house to play a little bit of the video game that is known as Call of Duty. You know, throughout my, in my personal years, I played a decent number of video games. First-person shooters similar to Call of Duty. And, and for those of you who, if, I know many of you are not gamers, I'm going to hope that you're going to bear with me a little bit. This is going to come around, and hopefully you'll be able to catch on to a little bit of what I'm saying. And I also should put the disclaimer that these video games, though they're violent, do not lead to violence. There's been a multitude of studies that have disproven this. Alright. That being said, the games that I played, you know, like Halo or Call of Duty or Battlefront, Battlefield, those type of games... There are certain kinds of players in every single one of them. There is, uh, there's kind of certain types of players that you see in most games, most of these uh, competitive matchups. So you might get the sniper rifle guy. He's the guy that purchases, finds the best high point, and he's gonna, you're gonna be running across the field as a boat. You're down. Down for the count. Down for the count. There is the close quarter guys. He might be carrying around a shotgun, or if you're playing Halo, it's the energy sword. Uh, you get the guy who um, is kind of the camper. He camps out. He crouches in the little corners, in the little dark areas where you don't realize he's there. And you walk, turn the corner, all of a boom, you're down. Those are the guys. They they have credit to them. They have a lot of patience but they annoy the heck out of you. Then, there's, you know, there's the casual player who just kind of walks around and just gets what he can get. And that's probably most of your players, and he's probably going to usually be middle of the pack. <coughs> and then there is that one guy. He's the guy that almost nobody likes. He's the guy that when he gets you, you almost want to throw the controller across the room. That guy is known as the rocket launcher guy. And he, people don't like this guy because it's easy kill. It's lazy to get your get your opponent with the rocket launcher, right? So with all these guys, there's a type of player that I've never come across. And that is what I would call the Ephesians 5 player. Uh, to kind of give you an understanding what this would be like, imagine kind of a battle royale meets Call of Duty situation, all right? So you have one life. You, your character dies, and the game's over for you, all right? Well, you get down to the final three. It's you, the rocket launcher guy, and the Ephesians 5 guy. Now, you don't know who's really available. You just know there's three people. Well, you turn around the corner, and there he is. He's the, it's the rocket launcher guy. And the, but the Ephesians 5 guy is right in range as well. 
Now, the Ephesians 5 guy could stand there, let the rocket launcher guy fire his rocket at you, and then turn around and kill the rocket launcher guy, and he wins the game. But he doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he runs in front of the rocket launcher guy just as he is about to fire, sacrificing his care himself, and both die in the victory. That's Ephesians 5. That is what Jesus has done for you. It's getting to it. Because you see, the rocket launcher guy, that's the devil. The rocket itself has been crafted with our sinfulness, with every little lie, every little moment of anger, every moment of bitterness, every moment that we have sinned in any thought, word, or deed it has crafted that rock. And on the other end of it is our death. And it is what we deserve. But nonetheless, Jesus steps in front and he dies, destroying sin, death, and the devil by his death. But of course, he didn't do that in a video game. He didn't die at the hands of a rocket launcher. He died an agonizing, bloody death on account of a crucifixion. He died not in fiction, but in reality, in history. A historical event that is attested to by the 27 books of the New Testament. An event that is attested to the writings of people like Josephus and Tacitus. Of all non-Christian historians who affirm that Jesus was crucified in history. See, that's Ephesians 5 is telling you. That's what Jesus did. He died for the church, which includes you, Katie, Austin. But here's the deal. In Ephesians 5, there is a charge to every husband. And it's a charge that was symbol, symbolized when you saw that cross process into the church. Symbolized it, reminded to you that when you saw that cross, it was a reminder to you, Austin, of what that charge is. That just as Jesus suffered and died on the cross on your behalf so that you may live, when you say, I do, or I will, with the help of God, to Katie, your vow, you are committing yourself to loving her that much. To be willing to have nails driven to your feet and into your hands. To be whipped, to be flogged, to be beaten, to be tortured, so that she may live. That is the charge to every husband. To live a life of sacrifice. That's what it means to be the head of the house. It does not mean you get a crown of gold. And that means you get a big beautiful chair to sit on. And everyone's supposed to worship and adore you. No, it means that you gained a crown of thorns. That means you live a life of sacrifice. It means that you don't get what you want. It, does not, it means that every decision that you make as husband 
for the betterment of the family. You're going to do every, every decision is going to be what is best for you and for your wife, for Katie, and one day for your children. Now, most of your decisions, you're going to be able to come to an agreement, but sometimes you can't. That, in those moments, as a husband, you are the one that makes that decision. But you don't make it because it's what you want. You make it because in your mind, in your processing, it is what is best for your family. Katie is the Ephesians 5 wife. Is the one who when she sees that proverbial rocket firing her, at her. And she sees her Ephesians 5 husband, Austin, standing in the way, sacrificing himself for her. He doesn't, she doesn't get in the way. She doesn't push him out of the way. She doesn't do anything to obstruct the sacrifice. That's what submission means. It doesn't mean that the husband tramples on her. It means that the wife allows the husband to sacrifice himself for her. It also means that Austin think, look at the way that Katie looks. Look at how beautiful she is. Look how beautiful she is in her dress. It means that when you see her way she looks today. She's not always going to be wonderful. There's going to be days where she's not going to be so well. She, it might be a day that she's got a flu or a cold or whatever. And she is just not herself. And she's mean, she's nasty, she's bitter. But on those days, you are to see her as you see her in that dress. You were to see her holy and without blemish. And the reality is, is that throughout life that both of you have this high standard as to the way you are to love each other. The Ephesians 5 standard that I'm laying out before you is not easy. In fact, none of you, neither of you can fully keep because the simple fact is that you are a sinner. And it's for that reason that you need more than ever to remember, to confess when you've done wrong. During wedding planning, I guarantee it, you've gotten impatient with one another. You've been impatient in situations. And you have said and done things you wish you had. Confess to the other and say, I am sorry for what I have done. And when you hear those words of confession, you are to say, I forgive you. But there's also going to be reality that there are things that you are going to do. The way There's going to be ways that you offend one another and you will never know it. 
And the reality is, is in marriage, it's not easy. It is wrought with difficulties, wrought with challenges. And so what you're going, this is why it is so utterly important to be in church. Be at the very next service you can. Be there. Go there and hear God's word hear the words of absolution, to hear those words that you are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hear those words because you do not have the strength to love one another as you should. You need that strength from Christ. You need His forgiveness. You need His grace. You need His mercy. You need to look on how he first stood in front of that proverbial rocket of sin, death, and the devil to guarantee your life, to look at what he has done in the cross, to see how he has loved you. And as you hear it, as you receive that grace, you are empowered, you are enabled to love one another all the same. I pray that it may be so throughout your marriage, throughout your days. And remember, it's never bad to get advice and help from others. Ask for advice from your parents, your grandparents, your sister, your your, your sisters, your siblings in their marriage. Talk to them. You struggle. Pray to God. Live in His grace, His mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep in your marriage until, until the very end. Now, Katie and Austin, this is a recording that I have recorded from my car. And the reason is, is because the actual sermon that I preached on Sunday, or on Saturday, um, I put record, pushed record on my iPad, but my I, apparently my recording app crashed the instant I hit record. So it never got recorded, so I had to record it here, and I wanted to have it available to you if you want to listen to it. If you don't, that's fine, but it's here for you if you'd like to. Uh, blessings to you on your marriage to come. Um, I hope it was a wonderful evening last night. And I pray many blessings in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.